evening to see so many of you here. My name is Scott. Um, as Paul mentioned, I'm on the staff team here at the church. And just for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, we'll be taking a look at a section of Mark's gospel together. Every Sunday evening, we've been meeting together as a church family to read through, to look through some of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And this evening, we're going to be looking at a few verses from Mark chapter 4. Please look that up with me and read along with me as I read it out. You'll find the words on page 839, I think, if you're handed a Bible on the way in. It's on page 839, so please turn there with me now. And as we begin, just before I read it out, let me say just a short prayer, asking God for his help. And then I'll read the words together and we'll take a look at them. Father God, we thank you that when we open the Bible, you speak to us. And so we ask that you would help us to carefully listen and to understand the words of Jesus, who he is and what he did. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 4 beginning at verse 35, down the bottom right of the page there. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, that's his followers, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, I was in Edinburgh last Friday a city in which I once lived for a number of years, except this time I wasn't visiting friends, I wasn't lurking around live music venues like I normally do, but I was on a bus heading out to the airport to join my family who were on holiday in Spain, down in the south coast of Spain. And as I was on my way out to the airport on the bus, we drove past a small group of very, very loud protesters standing outside the office of a member of our government, protesters who were staunchly opposed to government plans to drill into an oil field named Rosebank, just situated off the coast of the Shetland Islands. And I realized in that moment as we drove past them on that bus that protests were something that I saw really quite frequently when I was in Edinburgh. If I was sat anywhere near the meadows on the south side of the city, especially on a Saturday or a Sunday, there would frequently be some people protesting against the introduction of something or the lack of action on something else. It was a very common occurrence. And after just a little digging online, 
I discovered that from 2011 through to 2018, the number of protests per year in the UK has almost doubled from just under 500 a year to just over 900 a year. And then the amount of employee strikes has quadrupled from 33 per year to 135 per year. See, the mood of those men and women that I drove past on the bus, I imagine sums up what is an almost tangibly growing disenchantment with our leaders in our country who seem unable to do anything to deal with the chaotic mess of our world, our country, our lives. We see that chaos at a leadership level. We see it in our politics. We see it in our places of work. We see it on our screens. And it causes us to feel a rare sense of foreboding, fear, uncertainty. But not only that, we deal with that very same chaos in our own homes, in our own heads, and in our own hearts, which can often bring with it a real dread, a fluctuating sense of helplessness. And as a country and as individuals, I suspect that we yearn for someone who can do something, someone who can do something to do something. We yearn, I think, in the midst of the chaos for someone who is both powerful enough and good enough to rescue us. Someone who is for us, someone who can bring some control and calm to the chaos that we feel in the wider world and in our own worlds. It's the false dawn, it seems to me, of every single political campaign. There are those who seem to have good intentions, make big promises of changes that we would love to see. But in the end, it turns out they don't quite walk the walk, or their reach just isn't quite long enough, or they completely run out of steam or favor. They don't make good on their promises, they're consumed by internal, external squabbles. And our optimism for lasting change slowly dwindles over time. And then by contrast, there are those who are powerful enough to bring good and lasting change. But their interests seem to completely misalign with the interests of everyday citizens. They're driven by their own personal gain. They're driven by personal progress, often at the expense of the needs of the wider community and country. See, we yearn for someone both powerful enough to bring control to the chaos and good enough to bring control to the chaos. We need rescued, but there is a growing gnawing feeling that we're stuck, isn't there? We're trapped in a cycle of sometimes calm, sometimes chaos, sometimes control, sometimes crisis. And perhaps all we can do is to accept that this is the way things are and just to hope that the good days outweigh the bad. But if you come back with me 2,000 years to our verses in Mark chapter 4, we see there another group who are in the clutches of that very same fear, foreboding, dread, helplessness that we're thinking about this evening. Others who need to be rescued by someone who is both good and powerful. In fact, as they sail with Jesus across the Sea of Galilee, their lives are on the line. 
Any of us who have been sailing in any context will know that the waters can be a bit choppy sometimes. But in order for us to really fully understand what's going on here, we need to swap the image of a domestic ferry crossing to a Scottish island or across the English Channel for a fishing boat facing the full fury of one of the worst sea storms that we could possibly ever imagine. This is what those who were there at the time record for us. Verse 37 in chapter 4, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. A storm so heavy that right from the word go, the boat and all who sail on her are already in jeopardy. This is no fair fight between the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the ships that sail on her. And as I say, it's hard perhaps for us to imagine the fraught nature of what's going on here. I suppose the modern day equivalent might be being on a flight where there is engine failure or being on a high speed train that derails. I hope that gives us something of the understanding that we need to know the terror that these men on the boat face. These are seasoned fishermen reduced to utter panic who run to Jesus and find him, verse 38 there, in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And if we'd read the first three chapters of Mark's gospel up until this point, we'd understand why these men would run to Jesus for help. Jesus is a man who has made some sizable, significant claims about his identity. See, he's claimed that he is the rescuer of God's people as their savior and as their king. He claims to be the son of God, able to fully forgive people of their sins. He has called people to turn away from their old way of living and to follow Jesus instead. He's silenced demons. He's driven diseases out of old and young. And so perhaps the last thing we'd anticipate from him in the middle of a storm like this is for him to be fast asleep in the stern of the boat. See, the question at this stage is, will the chaos of the storm claim the life of the rescuer? And will the chaos of the storm claim the lives of those who he has come to rescue? What is Jesus going to do? Can Jesus do anything? Perhaps even more significantly, throughout the Bible, as we read the story of God and his people, as we read of everything that happens between them, the storms of the sea are often used to depict the forces of chaos and evil. This is a real incident in real history that Mark records for us. But its significance is even more profound when we understand that throughout the story of the Bible, the sea is used to depict and picture the chaotic forces of evil in our world who threaten to thwart God's plans and threaten to harm God's people. See, literally in Mark 4, the storm threatens to bring their lives to an end. But symbolically, the storm threatens to end the rescue plan of the rescuer King Jesus. Rescue from the forces of chaos and evil. It threatens to bring all of his work to an end. And so the disciples' question in verse 38 is, I imagine a mixture of fear, exasperation, and confusion. Teacher, they ask, do you not care? 
that we are perishing? It might be one of the most significant questions that has been asked, I think. You see, God is often depicted as either being outmuscled by stronger forces or just plain unpleasant, mean, spiteful, capricious. The God that seems to be able to do so much either seems to care very little or perhaps he does care, but he's just not able to do anything about it. And so Jesus, as he sleeps on the boat, maybe he is able to do something, but he's just utterly indifferent. Maybe this Jesus really wants to help, but he's unable to. And so he hides, sleeping under the deck, desperately hoping that nobody will ask him to help out. See, the question these men ask Jesus is a question that has been echoed throughout the centuries afterwards. It's as relevant and as pertinent today as we sit here this evening, as it was 2,000 years ago in the midst of that storm. The man who claims to be the rescuer, the man who claims to be the son of God himself, stepping into our world, does he care? Does he care for us in the middle of our struggles? Does he care that we perish? See, if the question was an emphatic and important one, Let's understand the magnitude. Let's understand the significance of Jesus' response to the question that he has been asked. So verse 39, read with me. He, that's Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Some of you, I'm sure, will have been out and about in St. Andrews and will have seen at some point a dog running up and down the beach or running through a park, seemingly completely wildly out of control, chasing other dogs, running after tennis balls that belong to other dogs, knocking over cups of coffee, knocking over small children. Maybe as you sit here tonight, you're thinking he's describing my dog. That could well be the case. But what always impressed me was the authority of the dog's owner as he or she says, sit. And the dog immediately calms down and obeys the voice of the owner. And what we have here in Mark chapter four is in the storm, in the midst of the chaos, Jesus stands up to the storm and says, sit. And the storm immediately recognizes the authority of Jesus' voice, immediately calms down, is immediately obedient to the voice of the owner. The storm that threatened to overwhelm the lives of Jesus and his followers is completely overwhelmed itself by just a couple of words from Jesus' mouth. And this is the first thing that Mark, who records these events for us, would love for us to consider in answer to the question that we're asking this evening. And it's there on the screen for us, the first thing that Mark wants us to see is that when Jesus calms the storm, this is a visible demonstration that he really is the son of God, both willing and able to rescue us. See, throughout the Bible, God is described by those who know him as the God who will love his people, who will care for his people, who will relentlessly rescue them time and time again from the forces of evil. And he's even at one point described as the God who rules the raging of the seas. 
the one who stills the waves when they rise. All of which is the very thing that Jesus does here in the storm. See, as Jesus rescues his followers, he displays complete mastery over the forces of nature as the powerful creator of everything that we see. As Jesus rescues his followers, he displays complete mastery over the forces of chaos and evil as the good, more powerful son of God. See, the stilling of the storm is an authoritative claim from Jesus that he is the same God that we've been singing about so far this evening, the same God that created everything, the same God that created everything that we see in our world right down to the waves and the wind that bow to the voice of their master. It's a display of authority so fierce, so commanding, that for those who were there at the time, their fear of the storm has been replaced by a fear of Jesus himself. As they ask, verse 41, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, as we think about those two questions that the followers of Jesus ask this evening in Mark chapter 4, they're both excellent questions, really, really important ones, but questions with a clear answer from Jesus and an answer that we have to listen to. Does Jesus care for his people? Does God care for helpless humanity at the hands of the chaotic forces of the world in which we live? The answer from these verses in Mark has to be a resounding yes. Yes, he does. Is Jesus a rescuer for his people that is both powerful and good? Again, the answer from these verses in Mark has to be a resounding yes. Is he really the son of God like he claims to be? Is that who he is? Again, from these verses in Mark, the answer has to be yes, he is. See, I suspect that for some of us here this evening, whether we call ourselves followers of Jesus or otherwise, we might find ourselves occasionally domesticating him in our heads, reimagining him, turning him into simply perhaps another good man or perhaps a prophet of another religion, somebody who lived a good life and taught good things. Or perhaps as a follower of Jesus sat here this evening who does believe that he really is the son of God, we've just allowed ourselves to question whether or not he really does care for me whether he really does have the ability to rescue me from the struggles and the sorrows of this world. And if that's where we land with Jesus, then can I suggest that we're ignoring the very evidence that he provides for us as to his provision and to his power? See, I cannot leave Jesus there as another one of the good moral teachers that has lived. Not if mere words that he speaks can still a storm in order to save the lives of those who follow him. I cannot believe for a minute that Jesus does not care. I cannot believe for a moment that Jesus is not powerful enough to do something. See, our response to him is absolutely critical. How we respond to Jesus' claims and Jesus' display of what he can do is crucial. 
And that brings us on to the second thing and the final thing that we will look at this evening. See, as Jesus stills the storm, he invites us to have faith in him. As he stills the storm, Jesus invites us to have faith in him. See, as he answers the questions that his followers have, he has a question for them in return. You might have noticed that as we read it together. You'll read it there in verse 40. Jesus says to his followers, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So I remember somebody that I was at university with reading this very incident for the first time and thinking to himself that if this really did happen, if the creator of everything silenced the forces of danger and chaos in order to rescue those who follow him from peril, then this man, Jesus, had to be taken seriously. His words had to be listened to carefully and he had to make a choice. See, Jesus turns to his followers as he turns to us this evening and says, if you have faith in me, the son of God, the rescuer who is both powerful and good, as I have shown you, you have absolutely no reason to fear. See, Jesus says to each of us that we need to have a faith and a trust in him. A faith which means that we need not fear for our future. A faith that says we need not fear for our present. A faith that says we need not fear for our eternity. Now, if you keep on reading Mark's account of Jesus' life, you'll see that following Jesus does not remove someone from experiencing real moments of difficulty, real moments of frustration, real moments of pain along the way. Just after Jesus and his disciples get off the boat in Mark chapter 5, they're immediately met with those who are dealing with the forces of evil, disease, death itself. And that is true of the experience of all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not. So you speak to anyone who follows Jesus, they'll tell you that they encounter the same sorrows, the same pains, in the same way that everybody else does. Jesus' full rescue from experiencing these things has not yet come. Yet those same Christians will tell you that there is a hope that they have now in what is to come one day. Those same Christians will tell you that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to rescue us from something even greater, something much darker, a storm, if you like, that threatens to claim all of us sat here this evening. See, we see a, a glimpse of his ability to rescue here in Mark chapter 4, but we'll see it in full technicolor later on in Mark's gospel. Something we'll be considering next week as we draw near to the end of Jesus' life as recorded for us by Mark. An even bigger and even greater display of Jesus' rescue mission will be seen when he dies on the cross in our place, taking our sin upon himself, rising again to new life, offering those who have faith in him rescue, a restored relationship with God, peace with him, full forgiveness, eternal life. Jesus offers all of us rescue from all of the things that threaten that in our hearts, in our lives. Jesus promises that he will return one day, this time not to bring a still to a single storm on a sea, but to bring a still to all of the chaos, 
all of the evil forces in our world, all that threatens to harm his people. That is the hope for every single Christian, that every single force of chaos and evil in our world, even if they loom large in the present in our lives, on our screens, they will one day be quelled by the Son of God as he returns to rescue us fully. And so Mark's question to us all is really Jesus' question to us all this evening as we draw to a close. Jesus says to his followers, Jesus says to all of us as we sit here tonight, have you trusted in me for rescue? Have you placed your faith in me for rescue from this world into the new one? Rescue from sin into forgiveness. See, his offer to us this evening is to place our faith and trust in him, to continue to do so, so that we, instead of living a life full of fear, full of evil and chaos reigning in our hearts and in our lives, a life instead where we know the full assurance that Jesus is for us and formidable enough to rescue us from that which threatens us, to love us eternally in a world free from all of these things. That is his claim on our lives. That is the offer that he makes us this evening. And so his plea to you and my plea to you is to think through that offer for yourself and to place your faith and trust in Jesus as a good rescuer, as a powerful rescuer, one who guarantees that one day when he returns, he will bring an end to all evil. He will bring an end to all of the sinfulness in our world and restore the world to be a brand new one where we will live with him forever. He has shown us that he is both powerful enough to do it and because he is good, he will make it happen. Loads more that I could say on these verses, but I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite the band to come back up onto the stage. And as they come up, I'm just going to give us a short moment of silence just to pause and reflect on what we've seen in Mark's gospel this evening. And then I'm going to pray and we'll sing two more songs as we draw our time together to a close. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, I pray tonight that as we think of the words of Jesus, as we consider his claims, as we consider what he did for us, that you would help us to conclude that he really is the rescuer that we need, that he is good, that he is powerful, and help us to have faith in him, we ask. In his name, amen. Well, as we close, we're going to sing two songs that speak of Jesus as the powerful creator and songs that speak of his works that he did, the wonderful things that he did 